okay. I'm here for. Okay. Okay. So welcome as we um, partake this, this class on how we got the Bible. Introduction. You have in your possession a most wondrous book. It's a book of books. It's a library of books. A collection of two major sections, the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, or the New Covenant, written by over 40 human authors, but from a strictly divine source. This book has transformational power. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, has a new, like a newborn infant, desire, long for, the pure spiritual milk by which you may by which it will grow you up into salvation. This word of God, this message from God Himself, is changing us day by day. Um, it is changing us to become more and more like the Savior. And though it's completed about 2,000 years ago, we have this most wondrous book well-preserved today in our own language. This book is throughout history the most read, the most published, the most translated, the most quoted book by far. Indeed, it's also the most hated book. It's also the most banned book, the most burned book. And in some places of, of the world today, um, possession of the Bible might mean that you would get persecuted by the civil authorities. That's how much mankind hates this book. Indeed, and many, but still, it's, it's read the most. And in most cases, in many cases, the translation of the Bible into into a vernacular language has profoundly defined and influenced that language. You know, just think back to the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther translating the Bible into German. I mean, and, and, and that basically defined that language. You can go to Denmark, um, Bel Belgium, and even English. Um, those, the translation of the Bible into those languages has profoundly influenced and developed that language. Okay, the, the Old Testament comprises 39 books in the English Bible, 24 in the Hebrew Bible, or by some counts it's 22. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and Aramaic, most of it, Hebrew, over a period of about 1,000 years from about 1450 B.C. with Moses through the recorded prophecies of Malachi around the year 400 B.C. Now, it's, 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 it's important in this class to recognize one important thing. After Malachi, there was a period of prophetic silence, and the Jews recognized it that there would be no other prophet arising from the nation. Now, there was other religious books written, other historical books written over, over the next several centuries, but none of them were considered part of the canon of the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament comprises 27 books written in Greek over a span of about 60 years during the first century AD during the age of the apostles. The Christians had recognized these books to be canonical just as the Old Testament books. So we're going to discuss in this class the principles of inspiration beginning with inspiration particularly the internal evidence that scripture gives us that this collection of books is indeed God's word and revelation to us through his prophets and his apostles. 
And next, we will discuss how these books were recognized by the people of God and how they were added to the canon of what we call Bible today. Um, we'll also look at how these books were transmitted down through the centuries, beginning with the early handwritten manuscripts. And we'll see that the Old Testament and the New Testament scripts follow very different paths through the centuries, and yet both have seen significant confirmation of fidelity from manuscripts unknown until recent centuries. And basically, a manuscript is a handwritten document. Um, and those were how the Bible war was transmitted up into the invention of the printing press, up to, up to basically the Protestant Reformation. Um, and then we also examine a history of the translation of the Hebrew and the Greek text into other languages, particularly the history of the English Bible beginning with Wycliffe and Tyndale. And we'll also finish with a study of the basic principles of, of, trans, of, um, of um, translating, I said transferring, it's translating God's word between two complex languages, each with its own grammar, its own vocabulary, its own syntax. So in all, in all we're journeying 3,500 years. Um, we can only touch many of the highlights, uh, but we'll gain a, a rich understanding of this history along with, a, with, with an understanding of the, of the technical terms that will help each of us comb the depths of this field in greater detail. Now, we have some books. Um, first book that we'll use is this book here, From God to Us, How We Got the Bible, from Norman Geiser and William Nix. This will, be the, this will serve as the, as the main outline for the, for, for the course. And then I also have, have this book, um, um, the, um, the, um, the Origin of the Bible. This, this, this will be for supplemental note, um, notes. Now, when we talk about the Apocrypha, I'm actually going to use this book here, Reasoning from the Scriptures with Catholics. And then um, towards the end of the, of the class, we'll get into translation. And I'm going to use this book here, Understanding Bible Translation by William Barrett. Um, furthermore, if you look at any exegetical commentary, like this one is from Isaiah, it begins in the preface, it will begin a section about the text, and it will tell you, and it will describe such terms as the Mesoretic text and the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, and the Septuagint. And we're going to to learn what, well, you know exactly what those terms mean, how we got the Mesoretic text or the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, also. If you look at your own Bible in the prefix, it will give you some. It will give you a summary of of the text that that is used to in in the in the translation, and it may say something about the received text, or the majority text, or the critical text. So we're going to learn, well, what is the received text? What is the majority text? What is the critical um, um, text? Okay, so, that, so let's begin with inspiration. The word inspiration 
it comes from a Greek word, um, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that word, um, but, but you can actually see the word theo, um, God, in the word pnostos, similar to, to the word for spirit, or to breathe, or, or the wind. It's, li- it's literally the word God breathed. It's a word used just once in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. When Paul writes, all scripture is inspired or God breathed and okay yeah so all scripture is inspired or God breathed and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work and or a similar phrase is also occurs in Jesus' response to the temptation of Satan. When Jesus says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from, from the mouth of God. And that's and Jesus is quoting there from Deuteronomy chapter 8. The second major passage on inspiration is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. No prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. These men were moved by the Holy Spirit. We call them the prophets. Their messages did not originate from their own impulses, but they were God-moved. And God spoke to the people through the prophets that these prophets searched their own writings to see what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It's further indication that their words were not self-initiated. So the Bible is inspired in the sense that spirit-moved men wrote God-breathed words. Inspiration refers to the writings writings themselves, not to the human authors. But inspiration is also used in a broader sense, the process by which God-breathed words become written for us in propositional truth. And so there are three elements to here. Number one, there is divine causality. God initiated the revelation, revealing his word to the prophets and then through them to others. And God is the ultimate source and the original cause of this revealed truth. There's also prophetic agency. The prophets were not merely recording secretaries. They were um, they wrote with full intent and consciousness in the normal exercise of their literary styles and vocabularies. Their personalities not being violated by divine intrusion. Now you may think, well how could that be? Well let's just think about our own selves. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. But that does not violate our personality. Um, you know, we, the third feature is, 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 is that there's written authority. The final product is the written authority of the Bible, which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Scripture derives its authority from God himself. And note that it, that it is in the prophetic writings and not the writers themselves that, that such, such that possess and retain the resultant divine authority. The writers themselves, they've passed away. But the prophetic writings live on. So inspiration 
is the Holy Spirit's superintending over the writers so that the so that while writing according to their styles and personalities, we thought was God's word written, authoritative, trustworthy, and free from error in the original autographs. That's a definition from Moody Handbook of Theology. And note here that inspiration implies inerrancy. That is, God's revelation is accurate and free of error. Inerrancy technically applies only to the original autographs, not necessarily to the copies. And any copy has the attribute of inerrancy only insofar as it is an accurate reproduction of the original manuscript, or that is, the autographs. And a simple definition of inspiration is, is that scripture is God's word. It comes out of the mouth of God, does not originate with man's thinking or man's speech. And as Tom Leake said, it is not the word of man, but the word of God, from Tom Leake. Um, and, from what, and from the What We Teach document that we hold, um, I'll just refer to that, that one. Um, number one, the Bible is verbally inspired. Every word of scripture is God-breathed. The Bible does not simply contain the word of God. It, it is inspired word of God. The Bible does not convey to us simply inspired thoughts, but actual inspired words from the breath of God. Therefore, it's a perfect treasure of heavenly inspiration. Also, God spoke in his written word by a process of dual authorship. Both God and man are the authors of scripture. The Holy Spirit so superintended the writing through the individual personalities and different styles of writing of the human authors that they composed and recorded God's word to man without error in whole or in part. And the Bible does not become the word of God as it's understood and accepted by man. Rather, it is the word of God whether or not man understands and accepts it. And frequently, in scripture, God raises up prophets through whom he speaks. Once again, it, it, it is evident that although these are human words spoken in ordinary human language by ordinary human beings, the authority and the truthfulness of these words is in no way diminished. They are completely God's words as well. And that's a definition from Grudem. And again, inspiration is verbal. The written words matter. Then Moses recounted to the people all of the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the, of the Lord. Number B, it was, it was a word of the Lord which came numerous times to the Old Testament prophets. For, for example, Jeremiah 26, verse 2. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all of the cities of Judah who come to worship in the Lord's house all the words that I have commanded you to speak. Do not omit a word. And you also note that three times um, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus, Jesus was being tempted by Satan, that Jesus responded, it is written. And that word, it is written, occurs throughout the, throughout the Bible. Now these words... The, prophet, the apostle Paul says are not taught by human wisdom, but are taught by the spirit who combines spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Both the natural man, that is the unregenerate, cannot accept the things of the spirit because these words are spiritually appraised. From 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2. 
and inspiration extends to the very words of Scripture. Indeed, even the smallest part of the Hebrew word was from God. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the, word, from the law until all is accomplished. And that iota and that dot, those are the smallest Oroks of a pen in the Hebrew alphabet, like the crossing of a T or the dotting of an I. Even that um, will not pass away. Now, this is in contrast to the modernist view that claims that at best only the concepts are inspired but that the words are those of the prophets who express these divine concepts as they could humanly understand. No, what the prophets recorded is what God intended to communicate. And remember, God can communicate. He knows how to communicate. He invented communication. So, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God says to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I'll put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever would not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So we are responsible for listening to God's revelation to us. So, in summary, inspiration comprises two convictions. The words of Scripture are God's words. Scripture identifies the Mosaic law and the words of the prophets spoken and written as God's own speech. Very often when the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, written, by example, from, by Moses or David or Isaiah, the New Testament writers expressed the words as what God has said. Yes, Moses said this, but so did God. Yes, David said this, but so did David. Yes, the, the prophet said this, but so did God. And man's part in producing of Scripture is merely to transmit what he has received. Each biblical book is in one sense the literary creation of its author, but theologically from a standpoint point of content, the Bible regards the human authors as having contributed nothing of content. The prophets professed that they spoke the words of the Lord. Jesus professed that he spoke words given him by the Father. Yes, even Jesus spoke words from the Father. His words came from the Father. And the apostles taught and issued commands in Christ's name, and so were claiming Christ's authority. So when Paul gave a command, we obey not because it was Paul who commanded it, but because God has commanded it. Now, false prophets... Let's talk about a little bit about pro false prophets now. False prophets are condemned. That is, those who claim to speak for God but have merely spoken their own words. For example, Ezekiel 13, the Lord commanded Ezekiel to prophesy against the prophets who prophesy from their own inspiration. And Ezekiel said, Woe to the false prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. Did you not see a lying divination when you said that the Lord declares, but it is not I who have spoken? So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God.
God. So false prophets are those who speak their own words. Now, biblical inspiration should be defined in the same theological terms as, as prophetic inspiration. Namely, that the whole process whereby God moved these men who had been chosen and prepared to write exactly what he had written for the communication of saving knowledge by to his people. I mean, I'm, I, sh- I, sh- I, sh- I should have simplified that. But, uh, but although, and through them to the word, biblical inspiration is thus verbal by its very nature for God, for it is God breathe God given words that the God breathed scriptures consist okay so inspiration God breathe words written by the prophets transmitted to us now inspiration is also what we call plenary that is it's full and complete extending to every part both book and verse all scripture is God breathed. So all scripture has four divine authority. For as Paul says, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And Paul said concerning scripture that whoever was whatever was written in former days was written for our in action. And Jesus and the New Testament writers amply illustrate their belief in plenary inspiration of, in the New Testament by quoting from every part of the Old Testament has authoritative, including its most disputed teachings. No part of Scripture claims less than full and complete authority. And inspiration conveys the final authority of the written doc, document. For example, G, G, Jesus says, Scripture cannot be broken. Scripture is unbreakable. It comes with the authority of God. Has it been? Has it not been written in your law? Jesus, Jesus would ask the, the scribes and the Pharisees. The issue is settled and must be accepted. Man cannot break the word of God. Scripture breaks them. So Jesus claimed that Scripture has his authority for cleansing the temple, for, repu- for rebuking the tradition of the, of the Pharisees, and for settling doctoral disputes. Um, and also Jesus, Jesus, Jesus would say, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Now, inspiration extends both to the Old Testament and to the New Testament as, um, as well. The, the reference to all scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 includes at the minimum all of the Old Testament canon. That is all the 39 books that we recognize today. Um, but it also includes the New Testament. For when for when Paul says all scripture is inspired, that includes everything else that may be written afterwards that is part of what is God, God breathed. Because, at, because if that were not true, scripture would break at, at that point. So the Old Testament, so the New Testament also claims to be scripture. Peter confirms that the letters of Paul are scripture when he wrote believers regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote you, and also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which there are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of scripture, to their own destruction. 
Paul also quotes from Luke chapter 10, verse 7, where the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. That's a reference to the Mosaic law. And also, the laborer is worthy of his wages. The significance here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, is not so much the fact of quotation, but that Paul quotes Luke's gospel authoritatively to give a command to the church concerning elders. We also note that according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, that all prophetic writings are inspired. But the New Testament also claims to be a prophetic writing. For example, John writes, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will also add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God himself will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. So again, the New Testament would also be inspired. And also, um, you know, there is this opinion among the skeptics in the liberals that the human writers did not actually know that they were writing the Bible when they were writing what God has spoke to them. They claim that only Christians in future gen generations came back and then recognized the writings as being God-breathed. Um, however, um, nothing could be further from the truth. These biblical writers knew exactly what they were doing. Um, the New Testament writers as well as the Old Testament prophets clearly understood that they were writing is from God and hence is authoritative. For Paul would say, for if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man, do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Um, and again, Paul would say, but even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Um, for the prophets to warn believers about false teachers, there must be an acknowledgement of correct and authoritative doctrine from these apostles. So yes, when Paul gave commands, he knew he was speaking for God. And also, but also, um, the inspiration of, of scripture does not imply that there's any one method of, of a writing. There are di different genres. There's, there's a variety of literary sources in styles. Um, nowhere does scripture imply word-for-word -word dictation, although to be sure there are some... There are some sections, such as the Ten Commandments, where the writer quotes God speaking verbatim. Scripture includes narrative prose as well as Hebrew poetry. Again, it's Hebrew poetry. It's not English poetry. Um, it's written in the common language of the people. There is certainly a marked difference in vocabulary and style among the writers. You know, Paul writes different from Luke. Luke writes differently from Peter. But all three are writing inspired words from God. Um, and inspiration is not intended to be a uniform divine dictation exclusive of, of human sources, personalities, and varieties of expression. The divine direction and control under which the biblical writers wrote was not a physical or psychological force and did not distract them from, but rather heightened heighten the freedom, spontaneity, spontaneity, and creativeness of the writing. 
this was not an obliteration of the personality. Um, now, biblical inspiration is not the artistic inspiration of great literature, even though biblical writing is, is in fact great literature. Inspiration refers to the it refers not to the literary quality of what is written, but to its character as divine revelation. And for, for example, Luke researched eyewitness accounts to write his gospel. He laid out the material in chronological sequence for, for a man named Theophilus, his immediate audience. And now, Scripture does quote at times non-biblical writings that have no claim of inspiration or, and even pagan sources. Um, for example, Joshua, chapter 10. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. He would say, it is, not, is it not written in the book of Jasper? Whoa. What's this book of Jasper? Well, it is a book, a real book. Um, it is written by someone. Um, it may have lots and lots of value, um, but it is not scripture. It's not divinely inspired. Num, 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 number two, um, the Bible says in Second Chronicles chapter 20, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first to last, behold, they are written in the annals of Jehu, the son of Haniah, which is, which is recorded in the book of the, of the kings of Israel. Well, what's this book of the kings of Israel? Again, that's a document written by man. Um, it's a real document. Um, um, it has it has value, but we don't have it. Um, it doesn't exist today. Number three, um, Paul would say to the philosophers, "For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said." For we also are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we do not, not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and the thought of man. Here, Paul is quoting from a poet, a pagan poet. Um, um, he's not saying that everything that this poet writes wrote is inspired or true um, but he's just making a quote but that doesn't um, say that this poet was writing inspired um, um, words from God and also um, in the New Testament this book of Jude quotes from a non-canonical book of um, of um, Enoch um, and it says and about these also Enoch the seventh generation from, from Adam prophesies and saying behold the Lord came and with many thousands of his holy ones again that's a quote from this non-canonical book and we'll, we'll talk more about this non-canonical book later on um, but that does not but this quote does not imply that this non-canonical book is inspired only that the book says something um, that is true. That is, there was this this Enoch, this um, amen. You know, it's Enoch, who was the seventh generation from Adam. He he was a prophet. And he prophesied of the second coming. So, but now let's, let's talk about what inspiration does not guarantee. 
Inspiration is not a guarantee that every part of a, of a parable story is conveying a truth rather than a point it is illustrating. You know, many fall into the trap of interpreting a parable as an allegory. You know, everything has to represent something. That's not true. The parable tells a story, it has a point. Everything in the parable just supports that point. It does not mean that it's an allegory. Also, inspiration does not guarantee that all statements about God, creation, and doctrine are purely literal. No, figurative language can be used. I mean, I mean, in and that's the feature of language it, itself. We all use figurative language. So the Bible uses figurative language. Also, inspiration does not, does not guarantee that all citations are verbatim as opposed to a faithful rendition. And also, inspiration does not guarantee that truth is, is, is exhaustively revealed as opposed to adequately presented. You know, so, so for example, scripture talks about sunrise and sunset. And we use sunrise and sunset all the time too. But that does, does not imply that somehow the the um the um earth is is somehow some some um stationary object where only the sun moves. And also, inspiration does not, does not guarantee that the grammatical construction will always be the customary one rather than an adequate one to convey the um, truth. That, that is, there are more than one ways of expressing Truth. Um, and the last one is inspiration does not guarantee that statements about the universe must be from modern perspective as opposed to observational language. So now, so what does inspiration guarantee? It guarantees Number one, clarity or prescuity is the theological term of um, previous generations. Um, it means that the Bible is written in a such a way that it is able to be understood, but right understanding requires time, effort, the use of ordinary means, a willingness to obey, and the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, understanding will remain imperfect in this lifetime. Clarity is a property of Scripture, not a property of its re readers who may vary widely in their understanding. So, what that means is, yes, this book is from God, but we can understand what God has written for us. It may take work, it will take effort. Um, we'll have to dig into what the Bible says. Um, we'll have to look at what previous generations have known about it, what they have written, um, their te testimony. Um, and also, um, it does not imply that the scripture is uniformly clear. There are some sections that are hard, much harder than other sections. Um, you know, do not commit adultery. That's pretty easy to understand. Um, but, there are, but there are other parts that might be a little bit more challenging. Um, sufficiency means that scripture 
contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly and for obeying him perfectly. What we have in the Bible, we don't need something else for, 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 for growing up in Christ, for maturing in Christ. It's also necessary. Necessity means that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will. But it's not necessary for knowing that God exists or for knowing something about God's character and his moral laws. If we are to understand the salvation of God, yes, we do need the Bible. But now, we all know that God exists. Everybody knows that, whether they admit it or not. Um, But the question is, who is this God? To get an sufficient understanding, we we go to the Bible. So let's talk talk about the internal Old Testament evidence for, in, in, um, for, um, for um, inspiration. Okay, the Old Testament claim for inspiration is based on the fact that God communicated to the people through the prophets and that these resultant books were written by God's prophets were, res- were preserved in a holy place. Moses placed his law in the ark of God and that was preserved in the tabernacle for future generations um, so that, that you may teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And each prophet after Moses added his inspired writings to this collection. That is, Moses wrote his law, what we call the five books, and those were put into the holy place, the tabernacle. Well, when Joshua came, he also wrote scripture. He would add his book to that, to that, to that collection, and, and so on down through Malachi. Now, the key to, in, to the inspiration of the Old Testament is that, is that the authors of the Old Testament books were prophets. If not in name, then certainly in role. The prophet was a spokesman for God, or the mouthpiece of God. This is indicated by the various descriptions of the prophet. He's, for example, the man, man of God, meaning he's chosen by God. He's a servant of God, indicating his occupation. He's a messenger of God, indicating his mission for God. He's, he's, he's a seer, indicating the divine source of the truth. He's a man of the Spirit, indicating that he was prompted by the Holy Spirit. He's a watchman, indicating needing that he was to alert the people. This message that God would give to the prophet, the prophet would give to the people. And that God's words to his prophets were authoritative is certain. For example, um, Moses would say, I will raise up a prophet from among the countrymen like you, and I'll put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I commanded him. He shall, and it shall come about that whoever would not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And the apostle Peter identifies this particular prophet to be Jesus. Uh, but such a statement can also be made for each of the other, other prophets, including Moses. That is, when the prophet spoke, you were to listen. You were to obey. Because you were um, accountable to God himself. So, the words of Moses were considered to be divinely authoritative. And because, Jesus, because Joshua was exhorted that this book of the law, 
shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. And after the temple worship interruption of the Babylonian exile, the people returned to what Moses had written. Um, from Ezra, we read, Then they appointed priests in their divisions to, for the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. So let's just note that Joshua wrote Scripture. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. So each of the succeeding prophets would do the same. They would add their writings to that body of literature which the people recognized to be the words of God. Samuel also. Um, so then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in a book and placed them before the Lord. And the phrase placed it before the Lord indicates that Samuel added his writings to that collection of books that we call Scripture. Ah, but what happens when this, when this message was destroyed? Like, look at Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the and the words which Barak had written at the dictation of Jeremiah saying, and God would say, take again another and write it all on the formal words that were written on the first which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. So the, so, so, so the king burned what Jeremiah had written. So God said, write it again. <coughs> Habakkuk wrote, also wrote, um, Then the Lord answered me and said, Be, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads may run. And the New Testament, the Old Testament writers were all prophets, even if several of the writers, such as David, were not explicitly declared a prophet by the people. Um, David, who was credited with was writing nearly half of the Psalms, had, was was a king. Yet he could say in Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, verse two, "The Spirit speaks to me; His word is on my tongue." And the apostle Peter calls David a prophet and states that David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus. And David's history was written by the prophets Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. Now the acts of the king of David from first to last are written in the chronicles of Samuel, the seer, in the chronicles of Nathan, the prophet, in the chronicles of Gad, the seer. And Solomon was a king, yet he received visions from the Lord. And in Numbers, um, so, so back, go, go, going back to, 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 to the book of Numbers, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a dream. So Samuel also, so Solomon also had dreams. And his history was written by the prophets Nathan, Ahijah, and Ahido. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon from the first to the last, are they not written in the records of Nathan, the prophet? And in the prophecy of Ahijah, the Shealmite, and the visions of Ada, the seer, concerning Jehoiakim, concerning Jehoabim, the son of Nebat. And Jesus clearly identified Daniel as a prophet. Daniel also wrote scripture. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal them up in a book until the end of time. Furthermore, Daniel recognized Jeremiah as a prophet. 
in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, that is the reign of Darius, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the numbers of years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. How long would this exile last? 70 years. How did Daniel know from the prophet Jeremiah? And how did Jeremiah know from God himself? And also notice that the reference to the books of Ezra, um, also, um, um, see, Ezra, Ezra chapter 1 verse 1 also sounds out the authoritative pronouncement of Jeremiah. Now in the first year of Silas, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. And the inspiration of the prophetic books is clearly evident with the familiar phrase, Thus says the Lord, and if you, and if you can count them, you will count 350. About. And there are also other, um, other, other phrases that, that are basically the same. Um, and so the Jews kept an official registry of prophetic writing. Writing. Each prophet would add their book to, to, to the collection. The people would recognize that as, as from God. So there was an official registry of prophetic writings. The non-prophetic writings were excluded from, the, from those preserved with the sacred collection started by Moses. Now there was a cont continuity of prophets, each adding his book to the sacred collection. This continued through Malachi. And the Jews recognized that after Malachi, this prophetic secession ceased with all these years of prophetic silence continuing even up to the time of the first century A.D. And of course, some Jews recognized John the Baptist as a prophet. And they were right. And others saw Jesus was a prophet. Indeed, he is the ultimate prophet. He is the very Son of God. So even, after, so even during this so-called 400 years of silence, several other books were written, and we'll talk about them later, these so-called Apocrypha books. But the Jewish people classified none of them as scripture. However, culturally, historically, or theologically valuable, their contents may be. Now there were probably only two divisions of the Old Testament scriptures um, in um, early times, that is the law and the, and, and, and the prophets. Some of the books would later be grouped into a third division called the writings. These books would include Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. These books might be identified as those written by authors not prophets by occupation, but prophets by gift. David wrote about half of the Psalms. Solomon wrote much of the, of the Proverbs, and also the books of Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon's. So at one time, there was a transition from two groups to three. However, this rearranging does not in any way um, discount this principle of um, of um, God-breathed inspiration. Uh, and now, the author of Job is unknown, but the inspiration of this book can be based completely on its authoritative teaching. Indeed, the writer actually quotes what God said. Furthermore, the Lord mentioned Job's when he speaks to Ezekiel about the certainty of coming judgment, when he says, even though there are three men alive, Noah, Daniel and Job in the midst of these people these men these three men can only save save themselves they won't be able be able to save anyone else um, so how do you, how do we know about the righteousness of Job well it's recorded in the book there's no other source 
And Ruth is also a book that doesn't necessarily claim to be authoritative, but the book does have a significant picture of the Kingsman Redeemer. Additionally, the book records the genealogy leading up to King David. The book certainly was written during the monarchy period and would have been under the prophetic authorship if it were to be accepted. Um, Samuel was the author according to Jewish tradition, with Ruth actually being once appended to the book of Judges. By traditions, rabbis would read this book at the harvest time, which is Pentecost. And, uh, it's, uh, and it's about time to end. So we'll pick up here next time. Um, so let me pray.